0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market. A New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, July 15th. This is the 71st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are the amazing team behind Heritage Radio Network, and I can't wait to talk with them. But first, as I do on every show, I'm going to start out with my PR tip, Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to practice teamwork. Work with others to achieve common goals. Think of the group before yourself. Being a part of the team not only drives motivation, but it creates community and support. By joining forces and working together, we can achieve greatness. So be a team player. And remember, there's no I in team. That's my tip today. Okay, now this is super cool. I can't believe my guests are here. After 70 episodes, I am finally having the team behind Heritage Radio Network on my show. They are Aaron Fairbanks, executive director and host of The Farm Report. Jack, Jack Inslee, executive producer and host of Full Service Radio. And my engineer every week. And Allison Hamlin, Deputy Director. Now, Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit, member supported food radio station broadcasting over 30 live shows a week. And, um,. Let's hear about it. This is totally behind the scenes with Heritage Radio Network. Thank you so much
1: for having us. I so excited to be here.
3: I need to clarify, I'm not engineering this week of all the industry.
1: You're, true. <laughs> uh, thank Liz, you, Liz. Liz, is, Liz. Liz fills
2: in, and she's fabulous. And, but regularly you do. Yes. And you've, you've listened to almost all of my almost shows. Almost all of them. <laughs> so, and now, that, now this is the first time I'm letting you speak. <laughs>
3: well,
0: Thank you. <laughs>
2: No, I am. Great like, to be here. Yeah. Well, it's great having you and Allison too. It's good to be here. Yeah. So, I like to start out with people's backgrounds and find out how how you got here. And I think all of your backgrounds are very different. So, um, Jack, do you want to start out?
3: Sure. I will give the the short version of this story. I'll try. Um, I always grew up producing music and recording. So from the time I was 13, I kind of built a home recording studio for myself. And I would record all the local artists in the neighborhood, mostly hip-hop music, some other stuff. Um, after years of doing that, putting out albums kind of independently, I went to NYU for music technology which I suppose is not so far away from what I'm doing now here. Um, And then out of college, I was working on short film sound and post-production sound. And one day, Patrick called my, my good friend and roommate, Nat, uh, with this idea to start Heritage Radio Network, and Nat was working at WNYU, the radio station at NYU, which is how Patrick got connected to him. <clears throat> Hi. And, um, yeah, I, I guess Patrick did his graduate studies at NYU, I believe. Um, so when it was time, when he was kind of bubbling with this idea... He thought, like, let's ask NYU for maybe some radio people that can come help make this thing real. And Nat immediately asked me, he's like, you know, do you want to help me with this project? It's going to be a food radio station. So early on, I kind of came on helping Nat in the initial build-out phases, and the rest is history.
2: Oh, so this is like 2009. That was
3: 2009, okay. yeah.
2: So you are a part of the beginning.
3: The, the first phase.
2: And then Erin, you came in a little later, so tell me how you, what brought you to Heritage Radio Network.
1: I um, started working with Patrick in 2005 when I first moved to New York City. Um, I came here wanting to uh, be a cook. I wanted to work in a, in a restaurant kitchen, and Patrick had started Heritage Foods USA um, right around that time with my current boss um, at the time, uh, Todd Wickstrom from Singerman's Staley. And Yay, they were like, Zingerman's, <laughs> Yeah, Zingerman's, Ann Arbor. Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely like the impetus for like my love of food, uh, started at Zingerman's. And, but I always wanted to live in New York, it uh, seemed like a thing to do. And Patrick and Todd very generously offered me a, a part time position helping them with deliveries. So I would meet Patrick uh, down on Flatbush and Myrtle Avenue here in Brooklyn, and we'd drive around to all these restaurants in this unrefrigerated rented U Haul delivering amazing cuts of heritage breed pork to. You know, Del Posto as it was opening, and Union Square Cafe, and um, and Patrick was always talking about this idea he had for the radio. And I'm like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was like fresh off the boat from the Midwest, and so he had uh, what to me seemed like a lot of ideas and a very like New York persona. And I was like, okay, well, call me when that happened And uh, a few years later, I was working on a farm in upstate New York, and um, I got a call. Hey, do you want to come on as a guest for this? radio show, The Farm Report, um, on the Heritage Radio Network. And I was like, oh, I guess he did it. So I first came to the network as a guest. And then when I returned to the city uh, to pursue my graduate education, he's like, come, co-host. So I, I came in through the, the hosting scene, um, but was a guest first and foremost.
2: Wow, that's great. Good to know. And then, and then you became executive director in 2012?
1: Yeah, June of 2012, I had been working part time for Heritage Foods while I was in graduate school, um, doing some different projects for them. And Patrick took me out for dinner and he's like, Oh, the radio, you know, we just got nonprofit status. It's starting to grow. There's, you know, getting attention. And he really painted this like picture of, um, you know, amazing potential and then looked at me and said, Hey, do you want to come and run it? And I was completely blindsided and kind of. I was just like, uh, yeah, let me think about it. I don't even really know what that means or what you're asking. Um, but it seemed really fun. It seemed like a great way to bring my kind of disparate work experience to bear, um, having spent time on farms and in kitchens and looking um, at you know urban policy analysis and business management through graduate school, um, could get to do all of those great things. Um, and then there was this whole landscape of stuff that I didn't know how to do at all. So it's been a really fun couple of years. Definitely a big learning curve for me. I'm um, great to have like Jack by my side the whole time, and Patrick as well. You know, definitely a team team situation, and then of course all the hosts who are really uh, just great like um, touchstones throughout the network's history, but also experts in their own right to so really drive the station forward.
2: Excellent. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> now, Allison, you joined last year.
4: I did. Yeah, in April.
2: And what brought you here? I know you, you were at Astor Center.
4: I was, yeah. So I moved to New York in 2011 to go to grad school. And when I moved, I was looking for a job that wasn't in a restaurant. I had had a lot of restaurant experience. and was ready to maybe diversify that a little bit, but I was still looking for something in food and so um, I you know, I ended up kind of like stumbling into this really incredible job at Astor Center, um, you know, and eventually ended up running a lot of their hands-on culinary education programs and their wine and spirits pairing program um, which was an amazing experience to kind of learn the ropes um, you know, it's like not every job they'll let you sit in on the like best and brightest minds, like teaching people how to cook and drink and, like, have a great time and get paid for it. It felt, like, strange and, and, and in fact, felt so good that I dropped out of grad school to do that, um, you know, to, like, really throw myself into that space. And it was there that I met Erin um, for the No Go Left Behind project, and she, um, you know, it was like, the first time I had really heard of Heritage Radio Network, um, and she came in with some chefs and like, you know, if they delivered us a whole goat and I remember looking at this goat in our walk in and being like, Who are these people? Like <laughs> what is going on? Um, but you know it was really great. It was really great to meet the team and there was so much overlap with kind of my network and when I heard they were looking for somebody um, to take this position, I really jumped at the opportunity and um, it's kind of history from there. I feel like it's a it's a kind of it's kind of a great group that combines all sorts of really like enjoyable aspects of that um, kind of clientele-facing education, um, with some real, you know, with that that goes beyond the limits of what you're able to do in a classroom or to do in person. And I think the really true impact that you can have is is that it's so accessible and it's so free and fair, and that we're able to do stuff from this tiny little bunker in Bushwick that can be heard around the world is a pretty incredible thing to be able to do.
2: I agree. Yes. And it's not kind of a great group. It totally is a great group. (laughs) Sorry,
4: I'm sorry. I'm going to (laughs) revise that. They're the most amazing group you could have ever possibly asked for. So let's be clear about that. (laughs) It is. Now,
2: Now, a lot of people have heard or my listeners might know, you know, they listen to Heritage Radio. They I listen to so. a bunch of shows. But, but people might not understand, like, how does this work? Like, here we are in the back of Roberta's, and there are 35-plus
1: shows. And what are your roles? Like, how do you make this happen? <laughs> That's a great question. It's funny. We actually had a meeting uh, about two months ago where we sat down and we had identified kind of, I think, six different areas where um, our work as a as a team and as a network kind of laid out. And then we ranked ourselves, each of us, one to six. We're like, I spend the most time here, second most here. And then we all ranked each other because I thought it would be interesting to see kind of what we all thought. And it, it matched up pretty well. Um, I, I would say, like, I, I definitely o- oversee... The, the organization, so I have my hands a little bit in every pot, mm-hmm. and um, and and looking really at the, the long term uh, vision and laying out short term strategy, um, and then really looking pretty heavily to these guys for a myriad of things in like daily operations, but um, also kind of thought leadership, um, and I would say Jack.
3: I live in content. Yeah. The, the, okay. The creative, if you will. Yeah. That's,
1: and the voice.
3: That's also true. Yeah. You have the
2: best radio voice. I mean. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, mine is pretty, pretty darn it's pretty amazing. But I've, no. I've had a
3: lot of practice over the years. Here, actually, my first job—I forgot to say when I was 14—was uh, at an AM radio station. It was called Student Radio 1440 AM. Um, and I was, I was like the host that would give away bowling tickets on AM radio to like nobody, you know? Um, so that's
1: where it began. That's where my mic Just practice some, some promo <laughs> ideas for later. I think too, Jack really, uh, is being a little modest. He also heads up like our entire music program. So that's also one of the things that listeners will notice when they tune in, they're not hearing kind of Beatles and Rolling Stones covers.
3: Yes. Yes. For two reasons: a, we can't afford that, and b, it's more fun to spotlight the independent and the local, and kind of like build a community of musicians around this. Um, You know, one of the big things we want to do here is, um, you know, reach everybody in their own communities because everybody eats. So foodies obviously are aware of us; they know about a lot of the things we talk about. But we want to expand into other communities, and uh, I think that's been a really nice, kind of um, harmonious partnership here with the musicians we bring into the studio and we feature them on the food shows so they can learn something about food, food people can learn about new musicians
2: so. Yeah, well I was listening to your show and it's full service radio and it's a large part music and then uh, also f- a food interview um, yes. I actually just caught the one with Ducky
4: Oh, okay. <laughs> that was the last one I listened to. All right. um, That's a good one.
2: Yeah, it was good. I really I really enjoyed it. And, and it's nice that you, you do. Uh, all of our programs here are so different. And it's that, your show is very different than mine, but yet it still ties under the same umbrella of entertainment and food radio and education. And, oh, yeah. yeah. They, they
3: don't get out of here without being asked at least three, four questions on food. <laughs> and you can always tell who's listened to full-service radio and who hasn't. Because if they're totally surprised by the food questions, I'm like, "Oh, you said you listened to this show before,
1: but you didn't." You I think didn't. that's the thing. Food is like basically this like secret weapon to talk about everything from race and gender politics to world history to environmental activism to pop culture. Um, you know, there. I think we get obviously a little geekier here than maybe most people, but we really, I feel like the station kind of looks at the world through the lens of food and it it lends itself like very well to exploring all different kinds of topics. Yes,
2: absolutely. And Allison... What would you what on that on that list of the six things how you defined it? Um, <laughs> what was the top of yours?
4: Uh, so I basically run all of our communications. So if you've ever gotten an email from us, chances are good I wrote it. Um, the one of the interesting and kind of fun things about being on such a small team is that you have your hands in a lot of different pots. So um, I'm also our designer, which is interesting because. If you asked me ten years ago what I thought I would be doing, um, design was so far from that list. Like I don't think I had even conceived of it. Um, so, so those are kind of those are my major thrusts. But I also run our fundraising arm and. Um, so, These are all major things. Yeah, yeah. I mean if you think like if you think about a traditional career and you're like, I'm gonna focus on this thing, um, you would be totally ill prepared to do any of our jobs. But I think being a generalist I read so I'm a big Harvard Business Review reader because I'm a huge nerd, um, and one of their articles like explains that you you know like the the modern day worker is now a T shaped enterprise, so you want to be a generalist on many things on the surface and then a specialist in one field. So I consider myself kind of like a business and nonprofit generalist with a very specific um, cross beam of food knowledge. So that's me as a T. Well put.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. like it i would say too it's like nice that um we i think there's a lot of like complementary skill sets so if like you could make a yin yang into like a three-part <laughs> machine somehow it's a peace a
3: sign a yeah tri- it's yeah. a peace
1: sign yeah like yeah. um i do feel like that's something that like helps us function really well Is we come from different parts of the country from different backgrounds um, we have different kind of interests outside of the radio and the food world um, but then really like different specific kind of skill set. So I feel like I'm constantly so grateful that Allison really likes to do a lot of things that I don't really like to do. (laughs) And Jack likes to do a lot of things that aren't my favorite to do and vice versa. So I think there's like a real um, kind of exchange of resources happening that lets us, you know, as three people uh, probably accomplish more. Then then obviously we could individually, but I feel like it magnifies our ability to have an impact and run a really like tight, tight chip. And then, of course, there's like Liz in the studio and then G and our uh, intern team. So there's a lot of people who are, are making things operate in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and then, of course, all of our amazing hosts. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. I think we're too very blessed with a a really diverse network. so not only is it a host, but I feel like we have such a great crew of people who just like us and mm-hmm. generally are willing to offer us advice on so many things that i i'm I mean despite all of our like pool talent, you know, it's always nice to have someone be like, "Hey, I'm gonna help you write some headlines and like show you how to do that or like. Let's get the word out about your Kickstarter, or you know,
1: or PR advice. With I know, we definitely look
4: to you for. (laughs) We really do. So thank you, thank you for for being there.
2: Oh, my pleasure. I mean, I I love being a part of this network and this team and having a show. And I didn't ever expect to be a radio host. I didn't expect to be a publicist. But the fact that I can help out, or you know, it's it's my pleasure. It's it is teamwork, right?
3: Yeah, and the last thing I want to throw in here uh, with the strength of the team and kind of the way we do things here, I think what sets us apart is we, we do stuff, you know? I think a lot of people, really, it's <laughs> that's that simple. That's that a professional simple. term. So many people, I, I feel like, especially in this world of emerging media, will have meetings and they'll workshop and they'll think, like, well, what's the perfect uh, video? Or, like, how can we edit it? We go with stuff and we learn from there and I think that's been the ethos of the station from the beginning when Patrick had this bold idea and it wasn't like, let's have a year's worth of meetings it's like, no, let's get the website up let's record, press record right now and then let's see where we grow from there
1: Yeah, Do Equal parts scary and inspiring Yeah, it's,
4: okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like the true mantra of the, like the perfect is the enemy of the good and uh-huh. that just does not fly here which is sometimes terrifying but oh, yeah. often really thrilling and mm-hmm. energizing, I think, to our work Terrific
2: we're going to take a little break here. We're going to come back talk more with the Heritage Radio Network team. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to, Her- to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Heritage Radio Network's Executive Director Erin Fairbanks, Executive Producer Jack Inslee, and Deputy-, Deputy Director Allison Hamlin, who might have a little bit of a raspy voice today. We were I- just talking about <laughs> it on the break. Well,
4: yeah, no, I, I, we were just saying it's like you guys probably, because you can't see me, think I'm some kind of like chain-smoking, like... <laughs> Um, no, I, I, just, I woke up with this and I don't know what it is, but I also feel like I might be going through like, like this must be like going through puberty right. for, for dudes. I don't know. I, I never had that experience, but I have to say <laughs> from, from like six hours of it, I'm sick of it. And I'm so sorry, Jack, that this was like possibly a phase in your life. It's fun. fun.
3: No, I always had this voice. Oh,
4: yeah. You woke young. up like this. That's, right. Right. That's cool. I always, I
2: do think the raspy, sexy voice, it's cool. It's working. on my show. It's great. Hey, quick
3: shout out to the music we heard on that break. That is Rectech, um, who is Nat, who is the uh, first person who oh. came in and, and built out the, the studio, well, the, the technical, you know, musical, uh, the studio equipment. He's the brains behind all that.
2: Wonderful. Yes. Let's talk about the programming here on Heritage Radio a little bit. Because how do you go about selecting the hosts and the different lineup and it's It's a diverse list, and some people have been with the network since the beginning, and some
1: are new, so yeah, well, I think Jack can really speak to the beginning
3: Oh, it was a clubhouse. it was like I can't even speak to the things that happened in this room in the, in the beginning um but really it was it was a clubhouse, it was raw um it was friends, it was people that were game and willing, like I just said before, try, go, you know um and i always say like when aaron came on is when it became an organization it was like okay pre aaron everything is happening off of like my gmail maybe and <laughs> and patrick's like network of friends and then as aaron came on i think some real good criteria started being implemented as to like well what are we going to take on what kind of content do we want to be doing what aren't we doing um
1: yeah as you kind you of know. like search for identity i mean i think really nuts and bolts um it's it's folks who are passion-driven. Um, everyone has a million ideas, but it's like the person like yourself who's going to come in. You know, We're a primarily volunteer-led um, host organization, so some of our hosts are, are bringing in a little bit of revenue from sponsorships, but most people are here because they really have something to say. Um, when we think about what we're looking for in programming, it kind of happens in two two and a half primary ways one usually i have a working wish list i'm like man these are things that we're really seeing as kind of gaps in our programming lineup these are kind of up and up and coming issues in food these are voices that we're not hearing from anywhere else in the mainstream media and we want to make sure that we're kind of like actor actively putting ourselves as a network in front of those spaces so we're like how do we Um, kind of target different areas and and a lot of that is just kind of being out there and having conversations Um, and the other half is people come to us they come on um, as a guest of another show they listen to a podcast they come on as a fan or through a friend of a friend and they're like hey I have this idea and I want to move it forward and that process is like pretty nuts and bolts I mean it starts with a conversation or two As we kind of like try and whittle down someone's idea to make sure like, oh, is there a show here or is this an episode or what is really the thing? And we do a written proposal and people come on and record a pilot and we bring the pilot back to the team and we do a lot of workshopping. We have a very heavy hand at the beginning Mm -hmm. of bringing a show on um, because that's the time when people need the most support. And we feel like we can share what we've learned um, listening to thousands of episodes and launching a number of shows um, kind of what we've seen w- that works or doesn't work, but then after that, it really is like the each host um, really produces their own show on a weekly basis. So when we're looking at things today in the food media landscape of you know 2015, it's like we don't want to be redundant to content you can find somewhere else. You know, Eater does a great job of like kind of the restaurant kind of news pop culture space. Um, You know, we touch on that a little bit, but that's not really the space we're trying to own. We want to make sure that um, we're creating a space for people who are exploring um, the kind of outer fringes, the folks at the margins, the folks who are coming into the conversation. Like, those are the people that we're most interested in hearing um, perspectives and voices that you haven't heard before, which is, I think, why Jack Show ends up being really cool, because all of a sudden you're talking to some kind of underground electronic musician about food, and they're like, oh, food, man, I never really, like, thought about it. I didn't even know it was, like, a thing. And other folks are like, I've been thinking about it all day. This is my ideal meal. (laughs) Um, So we're not trying to be a network for foodies, because everybody eats. Um, What we are trying to do is kind of show you different ways to kind of think about what that means and what impact it has. Yeah, and your show, The Farm Report, uh, I I was looking at your numbers. You're up to, like,
2: 270-something, or I was...
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a, I had a head start, but like I said, I actually came to the Farm Report first as a guest, so that was one of the original shows on the network. Jack actually took a turn.
3: Yeah, little that. known fact: I was a, I oh. was a co-host of the Farm Report for like twelve episodes.
1: Those were funny though. Those are oh good. my those god, those are some funny episodes. Oof. I have to go back and find them.
3: Yeah, shout out to Heather Hyman who held that show down from uh, its inception in two thousand nine. Um,
1: I want to say the first fifty six at episodes. least, yeah, some, yeah,
3: something like that. Yeah. Yeah, the Farm Report was I think, you know, the second show ever on the network. It was uh, the the well, it was called the Patrick Martin's News Hour, which has become the main course, and then there was the Farm Report. Those were like the two pillars in the beginning.
2: Yeah, it was great. I was just listening to the one on blueberries. I was oh, right. uh, happy was 100th one.
1: anniversary, blueberry. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, it, but it's it's what's amazing with the lineup that I just as as someone who who loves learning about food and and the the restaurant world or anything happening is there's something in it for whatever you're interested. You can find the content. You know, if someone wants to know about blueberries, it's there. If someone wants to know a little more about uh, designing a restaurant, they maybe could listen to my show. Or you know, there's there's just a diversity. So yeah. um, it's a good it's a good mix.
1: It's a good mix, and it also like I think the goal of the station's content is to be action oriented. So you know you think about people sitting at home watching the food network um, and there's you know there's like i think three full tv channels dedicated to cooking and guess what nobody in america is doing right now is is cooking <laughs> so you you kind of have to kind of step back and you know be like well what is the point of that and we ask ourselves that, that a lot with our hmm. kind of what's the point like what type of action is this going to inspire And I think our hosts do a really nice job of, like, keeping things super grounded because they're all practitioners. They're not kind of reporters giving you info on a scene. They're, like, actually there living it, doing it, kind of being part of that conversation. So their perspective is really different, and their um, outcome goals are really different, too. True. Now, Allison,
2: what's happening with the relaunch of the website? Because I know you're working on that.
4: That is an amazingly exciting frontier for us. I think we in our so we just held a Kickstarter, uh, which finished in May, and the purpose was to fund an entire new website rebuild. So if you're on our website now, in uh, July of 2015, come back and check it out in September because we're going to have a totally new website. Um, everything from. You know, an updated interface that's going to make you, as you're, you know, as you're using it, direct you to better content, things that you might be interested in based on what you're listening to now. Uh, everything from that to, um, we're really excited to be launching some kind of blog type features that will accompany radio in a way that we were really inspired to see it on the Serial website. So if you're a big fan and you want to see more, perhaps uh, a website for a restaurant that you, Sherry Bayer, are consulting <laughs> on, um, you know, there's now a space for you to explore that a little more on our site, which I think will really amp up that experience for you as a user, um, you know. And we are really, really fortunate to be working with the team at CMYK, which is a boutique design agency in Gowanus, and they have been nothing but supportive to us in the process. I think, um, you know, between the three of us, we have a lot of ideas, and um, kind of funneling them into a, like a tangible product. Has been a, a pretty interesting ride, I would say. Um, but we're getting close to the point where we're ready to unveil it. And
1: yeah, I think just big focus on user experience. Like we want you hit, you to hit the site as a as a listener, as a user, and very quickly to find exactly what you're looking for. Assuming you know what you're looking for, and if you don't know what you're looking for, we want to kind of like bring you in and give you like a nice warm hand holding guide towards the content that's going to be most relevant to you. So it's a really, the idea is to be a space for discovery um, and exploration but also a really functional tool to get to what you need fast and, and easy and in a really clear way.
4: Jack's putting together some really good audio stuff. Yes.
3: Many surprises (laughs) to come on the website. I think one of the major things is um, in thinking about how we're promoting some of these shows on social media, uh, a lot of people spend most of their time on a feed, myself included. Somebody just asked me, like, what website do you go to every day? And I'm like, it's just the social media, really. And I get all my news from there. So when you're on a social media feed, it's kind of hard to click something and listen if it's a one-hour show. You don't have that hour. You have maybe a minute. You know this. We were just talking about short mm-hmm. reads versus long yeah, reads. Yeah, yeah. I'm into so the shorter ones. The idea here is when, when we launch and moving forward, we want to be um, promoting a lot more of these one-minute teaser clips that will give you a nice chunk of information, something you could like repeat at a dinner party, a good fact to learn, and hopefully leave you hungry for more. So, we're in the process right now of kind of combing through the archives and, and building a database of these one minute teasers that will kind of give people an entry point into the larger conversations. Awesome.
2: So, I'm really excited it's, it's about really the new a website. It's really
3: a pre new website and post new website world. Like, you know, for people listening in the future, <laughs> <laughs> the past was a dark place.
2: <laughs> okay, before we take a break, let me ask you guys the question I have from my guest last week. Uh, I had on Open Tables. Leela Srinivasan, Vasan, she's the vice President of Marketing at Open Table, and Olivia Terenzio, the content marketing manager at Open Table. So they want to know they have a, um if we at Open Table could feature any article about re- the restaurant business on Open for Business, which is their blog, what would you like to see? And they noted that they're big fans of. Heritage Radio Network. Oh, I like that. Who wants to go first? Mm
1: -hmm. I I, I will just because actually um, we have been working on uh, one of our evolutionary episodes featuring Mimi Sheraton. Mm. So I've been listening to that a lot. And it's been really neat to get her take on what it was like to be uh, a a reviewer for the New York Times. And one of the things that she talks about is how it would be challenging to do that job now and what her criteria was for a restaurant and she talks a lot about being able to kind of see your menu and see your food which got me thinking a lot about the role that like lighting plays and can play in your restaurant um i was out at four horsemen last night and i i kept trying to figure out like which is in your restaurant here in brooklyn like what is it about this space that is making me feel so good and like so warm and i think the design aesthetic there is like so interesting, but I would love for someone to talk a little bit about light, because it has this design and this vibe, but it also has a really practical function, and it's one of those kind of details that like you know it feels better, but you're not exactly sure like why.
3: We just did a clip on this with a restaurant designer whose name is escaping me, unfortunately, but he made a great point. He said, if you dim the lights in a room, people start whispering. <laughs> And it's like interesting.
1: Come if nothing closer.
3: right, and and you do really control somebody's experience based on the lighting. It's it's yeah. a good point.
1: Great. Oh
4: well. Anyone else? I would jump in here. Um, one of our previous reporters, interns, and hosts, Talia Ralph, for her master's thesis project at the NYU Food Studies Program, proposed a series of articles based on looking at restaurant workers who are not chefs and profiling them and I oh, think that's a great. really interesting space that I have not seen much work in the editorial kind of calendar of a lot of these business oriented blogs so not only like thinking about people you know who are mm-hmm. leading kitchens but Thinking about the staff on the floor, thinking about the business end of things, thinking about people in the middle who are not necessarily represented or glorified, and thinking about the work that they do and how important that is, um, and the lessons we can learn from them, because ultimately... You know, those people may move up into a leadership position, but they may also be the reason your dining experience is incredible. It's not just the person who you know, whose name is on the front of that restaurant that is gonna is gonna turn your day from being, you know, fine to amazing and overwhelmingly good. So I'd like to see more of their stories in, in open table
3: which is super close to what my answer was going to be, like dovetailing there with wages. Um, I think I'd like to see more writing on that, on uh, some of these workers who end up being off the books and working overtime and, and, and all of the considerations that go into that on both sides of those arguments. I think it's a conversation that I'm starting to see more of and would like to see continue. And the tipping versus non-tipping question That Ah, you so often ask Well that's (laughs)
2: coming up That's a good segue We're going to take one uh, break here Come back and we are going to play My speedrun game and talk some industry news So stay with us This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network Back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests are Heritage Radio Network's Aaron Fairbanks, Jack Inslee, and Allison Hamlin. And it's time for my speed round game. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited too. Okay, so how this goes, I name two things. You pick your preference. There's no right or wrong. So here we go Eat in or eat out? In. Jack
4: is just struggling. How many struggling. episodes and I'm struggling I'm, I so I know, much. Jack. Eat out eat out, eat out, eat out, eat out. Every yeah, let's be week real, let's for a year real. and a half. Eat out, eat out, eat out. Um If I'm alone, eat. Oh, you know what? Eat in. Eat in. Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going say it. You
3: guys are missing out.
4: Wine, beer, cocktail, or
2: monktail? Cocktail. Cocktail? Cocktail. Oh, yeah.
3: Yay!
2: yay. <laughs> Cocktails. Okay. Tasting menu or a la carte?
3: Tasting menu.
2: A la carte. A la carte.
1: Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Large plates. Big family-style platters. (laughs) Small plates. I can never decide I want them all. Yeah. (laughs) Love it. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Communal table.
2: Communal
4: table. (laughs) All right, here it
2: is. Tipping or all-inclusive charge?
3: I, this is I flip flopped so many times on this, um, but in a perfect world, it's all inclusive charge and everybody's happy. And yeah, that's my answer.
1: I mean, having worked in the industry a bunch, I feel like it's tipping on top of the all inclusive. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's,
3: it's both. It is okay.
4: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I would. I I like all inclusive, but I would also like the option to leave them more money,
3: yeah. if I could. Well, no one will ever turn it down. <laughs> well, you never know.
2: Okay, here are a few special ones. Yes. Listening live or downloading podcasts?
1: I download. I download.
3: Yeah, I, but listening live holds a very special place in my heart. I, I, I do love the, um, the ability to just hear it as it happens and send a tweet if I want and chime in, call in. Right. So I'm going to yeah, go listen for live. Sure.
2: Okay. Zingerman's or
1: Katz's? What the Zingerman's! Come on!
3: <laughs> Zingerman's. After having edited Ari and <laughs> Ari's life story, um, amazing. And I've never even eaten there, but I can say Zingerman's.
1: Okay.
4: <laughs> oh wow! I'm. I i do not think I've, I don't think I've ever been to Katz that's that's so <laughs> horrible and Have I, I definitely been haven't been to Zingran, okay. so i'm not even sure i'm qualified to answer
1: um, those questions. okay
4: skip that one cold, for you
1: cold. life goals i know
2: right oh. a, a couple more this one's mostly for jack coachella or bonnaroo
3: bonnaroo uh, yeah uh, uh with with all due respect to the folks at coachella who do a really great job i think bonnaroo the experience of that festival is unparalleled in the u.s um Mostly because all these other festivals are in large cities where people can commute. If you're in L.A. or Palm Springs, you're like, I'll pop into Coachella, see what's happening, but I'm going to go to an after party somewhere else. Bonnaroo is in the middle of Tennessee. There is nothing else to do. You're there. So once you're there, you're there, and I think it just creates a completely different atmosphere.
2: Okay. Sold. Done. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Cheese plate? That's not a question.
3: A dessert
4: for me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
2: check it out. (laughs) Manhattan or
1: Brooklyn? What Brooklyn? Brooklyn. <laughs> Jack's like my my zip my telephone code is two one two, so I gotta represent Manhattan.
3: I, I have to say Manhattan. What I, I do? I really do. Just based what? on the based on the I don't history, even know and you right now. The variety, the history, the, yeah.
1: Yeah, for the same yeah. reason, Brooklyn. Um, what? Yeah, I know who okay. am I, right? Am I? Jack.
2: Wow. I, Shout I out to thought, two boots. <laughs> I heard that. How about industry news? Let's, we're, we're, of course, we're, we're going to run over time here a That's little it. bit, but um, this is good stuff. So let's talk, let's talk about this article in the New York Times. New York City requires restaurants to freeze raw fish before serving. This is by Noah Remnick. So this has been big news this week. How there's new regulations being passed by the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, saying that fish served raw, undercooked, or marinated raw in dishes like ceviche must be first froze, frozen, and this is going to take effect in August. Um, I don't know. Some some media people reached out to me this week too that they're following up and they're going to be writing about it. So what what's your what's your take on
1: this? I mean, I feel like. When I read this, I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be huge. And how are they going to regulate it and keep track of it? And I feel like it really sparked this, like, moment for me where, you know, you're reflecting on how much there is to, like, learn in food and know about food. Because I, of course, went directly to Akiko, who hosts an amazing show called Japan Eats. Because I'm like, who knows more about raw fish than the Japanese? And who knows more about, like, the Japanese then Akiko, who covers it for our network and has covered it in print and press forever. And she's like, honestly, yeah, she's great. like, this is not a big deal. The main sushi places have already been doing it. Fish is traditionally uh, frozen at sea. If there was she's like amongst the sushi chefs that I'm in contact with, which is like all the big names, everyone you'd want to hear from. They were more upset when the health department said you had to wear gloves while preparing sushi. Mm. That was a bigger impact. And that was a big learning for me, and then I started really thinking about like how fish has to travel and and where if you have these like large trollers like going way out to sea and they're out there for weeks at a time. Of course, the fish is frozen, and it was kind of a belated glimpse of the obvious and the like the production chain. So, I think the most surprising thing for me was that people who I feel like are going to be most impacted were like, "Oh yeah, we already kind of do this, guys." Totally.
2: Yeah, there was there was a follow up article I saw on Grub Street, and it did. It did quote some of the top sushi Mm -hmm. chefs saying that they're already doing it, which also, like, the whole thing kind of surprised me. I wasn't really familiar with, I guess, this
1: process. Well, also, you're thinking about what the point is, right? And the point of freezing it is to kill parasites, which, you know, parasites won't, you know, live in fish if you heat it, but they will um, live if it's completely uncooked. And the freezing, interesting, like, it will, like, Take care of the parasites, but it doesn't take care of any other poten- potential contamination around bacteria or infection. So, freezing it doesn't mean that it is like safe across the board. It means it's dealing with like one specific threat to the fish.
4: Yeah, I feel like this is very much like the raw milk cheese debacle mm-hmm. in many ways, where <clears throat> I think for some people it is like it initially is very much like. Um, like a gut response when you see it because you feel like it will imperil some, you know, production and producers. And I think, you know, ultimately it it might in, you know, for some suppliers and sourcers, you rely on selling fish fresh to these people. But in the other way, I think it is something that is like already very conventional for many big you know big producers and buyers of this fish so like for the large majority of people i don't think the status quo is going to change much i think for some fringe you know restaurants and producers and and, and groups that may may affect them dramatically but you know ultimately our our response to that being like oh this is huge news and it's not um mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems, seems very on par with other, other big sweeping announcements that are made in the food space.
3: And I know we're going long here, but just one more quick point that Phil Gilmore made, who owns Momo Sushi and also hosts the main course here. Um, you know, he's like, sometimes, yeah, it upsets me when they make these rules, but I'd rather them... I'd rather everybody be safe and me have to do a little bit of extra work, even though his fish is coming in frozen anyway. Just a general <laughs> thought for when things like this happen, you know. Well,
1: back to your friends over at the Open Table Business, the other thing that really jumped out at me is, is the way that the reporter um, talked about this rule change was to ease some of the regulation um, and record-keeping for restaurants. But uh, that doesn't really make any sense to me because if you have to track and report on your freezing and refrigeration techniques for different fish from different purveyors. Some was frozen at sea, some was frozen at the docks, some was frozen in your restaurant. And if you can do a flash like deep freeze or a longer, a lower temperature freeze, it seems like that's where the challenge for the business is going to be. It's like, how do I keep track of this information? And how am I reporting on it if something goes wrong?
2: Excellent. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> we, we have, some
2: have feelings. Yeah, we have some I see that. On this one. And, <laughs> and just to, to give a shout out on Eater today, there's an article. Welcome to the Golden Age of Food Radio by Allison Gibson at Heritage Radio Network it is a large part of this story. So. Y'all check it out. Check it out and welcome to the golden age. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty nice here. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take one more break and come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. to all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week was for the Galenese Shuffle. Here's the rundown. The restaurant, Momofuku Ko. Location, 8 Extra Place in Noho, NYC. The concept, for one night only on Thursday, July 9th, 37 of the world's best chefs from 17 countries took part in one gigantic international kitchen swap for the Grand Gelenese Shuffle, organized by Gelenese, a collective culinary entity of world, world, worldwide known cutting-edge chefs. The chef, Massimo Botoro of Osteria Francescana in Modena, taking over for Momofuku Ko's Sean Gray. Why did I go? Because this was a once-in-a-lifetime dinner my experience. Tickets went on sale online a few months ago at, for this exclusive event. I was able to get a solo seat at Co for 6 p.m. seating. At the booking, I did not know who the guest chef would be, as it was a secret until the actual meal. All of the chefs would be revealed the day of. So it was a delight to find out that Massimo was the chef. His restaurant was recently awarded the number two spot on the world's best Uh, restaurant list 50 best restaurant list now what did I get well it was a tasting menu like no other highlights were corn off the cob in textures and temperatures a surprise dish shrimp and grits a la Wiley honoring guest and chef friend Wiley Dufresne plus spins on Massimo's signature dishes like spaghetti wants to be the crunchy part of lasagna with bone marrow and bolognese and oops I broke the canolo as an apple pie I'm not making up these names. How could I? <laughs> My take. Wow. The scene. Foodies and food media, including Kate Crater, Dana Cowan, Peter Meehan, and Sierra Tischgart. Interesting tidbit. Chefs and diners were posting on social media from around the world us- using the hashtag Gellanese Shuffle. Slow by slow it was revealed who was where in the world. This experiment showed trust and camaraderie among the chefs. Personal fun fact. I dined solo at Osteria Francescana in Modena about a month ago and met Massimo. He actually told me he was the visiting chef at Co, and I told him I was going. It was really cool that we figured that out. Now, he wasn't supposed to tell me, but I kept it a secret until the dinner, as I didn't want to spoil the fun. Now, when I saw him again, he noted I'm the only person to have these back-to-back dining experience with his cooking, so that's pretty awesome. Another personal fun fact. I met Mike Lee, a listener of my show, who, who was there for the second seating. Yeah. He recognized my voice as he passed by me and said hello. So it was great to meet you, Mike. <laughs> What's up, Mike?
4: Hey, Mike.
2: <laughs> okay. Dad, do not listen to this part. The cost, $250, not including Texan tip. Would I go back? Yes, I would do another shuffle. The website is com. So that was that was a once-in-a-lifetime one.
1: That sound, yeah, that's I mean, it sounds one. like actually kind of double once-in-a-lifetime like the mm-hmm. back-to-back. What a cool story.
2: Yeah. Well, it was when I was in Modena and I, I met Massimo and he, he heard I was from New York and he was like, oh, I'm coming to New York and he, he told me. I was like, That's a secret. You're not supposed to tell me. But I was like, I'm going because it it was really rare that I was going because there were there were three New York restaurants doing it. Um, Actually, Blanca did it here at Roberta's, and and also uh, Mission Chinese or Mission Canteen. No, Mission Chinese. So
1: it was great. That's so cool, and what a like cool thing to be a part of. I remember when they like sent that that like out that this was happening. I couldn't help but just like imagining. All these like chefs in like in the real like le- like the life swap like like Dave Chappelle <laughs> he did. He had to stay in, in their, their
3: apartment. <laughs> too. You're, yeah. yeah, and yeah. you are like, like in yeah. their, like their in airport.
1: airport.
3: <laughs> I like that idea. Around.
1: That's
3: funny. <laughs> That's a good one.
2: Yeah, it seems like this group of chefs are. I, I mean, the they all love each other. They all. They, I think they all got a lot out of it going into each other's kitchens and the you know the trust and the respect and I think it was a fun thing. So
1: to be like the line cook the week before when you're like down on your hands and knees with like a toothbrush you know washing the <laughs> like is the coming. rubber yeah you're <laughs> like Massimo is coming we must prepare
2: yeah so well that was that now it's time for the final question Da-da-da. next week my guest is Adam Sachs editor-in-chief of Sever Magazine really excited to be talking to Adam he's I've known him a while more when he was a just a travel food writer and uh, so now he's big chief at Sever. So what, what should I ask him?
3: First of all, I love Savor. Um, my question for Adam is, who is your reader? What do they look like? What do they do?
1: Okay. You know?
3: Uh-huh. Like, yeah. yeah. That's my question.
1: Um, I'm going to crib one from Ruth Rachel who we also just did an evolutionary recording with. And she talked a lot about food photography. And she's like, how does food photography change in a day and age where everybody, you know, has an Instagram photo or a camera, when you're a magazine, like, what are you kind of bringing to the table that's, like, new and special and different enough? Or I think, like, the Times has done it a little bit. Like, is there a certain kind of tongue-in-cheek celebration around posting a photo from someone's iPhone?
4: Cool. Yeah. Um- Oh, I've been thinking a lot about what young people today have kind of like on their plates and what they're thinking about, <clears throat> especially with Declan, our, our recent high school graduate. But I'm wondering for him what he thinks the, um, you know, what he thinks that the 18 to 24 year old audience is going to look like in 10 years and how they will adapt to meet their needs as a, as a print publication. So just some chill questions.
2: (laughs) I basically do no longer have to prep for this show. I have (laughs) like a whole segment right there.
1: You can also ask him, like, I'm like curious. What do you eat for breakfast? Do you have a workout routine? Do you meditate? What's in your
3: refrigerator right now?
2: Okay, done. Thank you, guys. This has been really, really cool. And I just, I'm honored to be a part of Heritage Radio and I'm honored to know all of you, be a part of this team, and that you guys came on my show. Right? We're <laughs> How, so happy to so be you It's damn good. good show. Yeah. Thank you. Um, really, I love you guys. And so, here are the shout-outs to Heritage Radio Networks, where you can find them. Erin Fairbanks, executive director. She's the host of The Farm Report, which is on Thursdays at 1 o'clock. Jack Inslee, executive producer and host of Full Service Radio, Thursdays at 730 also my engineer and Allison Hamlin deputy director and I'm wondering if there's going to be a show in the future
4: I'm stay like, tuned alright mm-hmm. I was thinking of that she'll, when she'll I turned together gu- she's
3: going to be a guest on Gunwash next month so we'll make oh, sure yeah. to feature that yeah. nice what is it August 27th Yeah,
4: for oh. a debate themed episode so oh, yeah. oh, that'll yeah. d- be fun d- d- good good to know.
3: show
2: okay social media at Aaron underscore Fairbanks at Jack Inslee at Ally Hamlin that's with two L's and at Heritage underscore radio. I'm at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website's bayerpublicrelations.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are on Heritage radio network.org. They are archived there. They are also all on Stitcher and iTunes. And thank you guys just for being a part of this. This has been fun.
3: Thank you, Sherry. Yeah,
2: thank we you. couldn't do it without you.
3: Can I make a shout-out? Yeah. To to Sherry's parents who came and visited and listen every week and anytime like the live stream is down or if it's two minutes late <laughs> or something's not working they let us know immediately incredibly supportive they were great when we met them here so out to Sherry's parents <laughs> nice oh dog.
2: you just now you made their day you made their year <laughs> <laughs> cheers um, to
4: Sherry's parents yeah yeah, it's yeah mom and dad my number one
2: fans. <laughs> So I'm Sherry Vayer. You've been listening to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. Bye. Thanks, Liz. The theme song for All in the Industry is provided by the California Honey Drops. What the music
4: feature today was by Rectech. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at Heritage Radio, Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.